You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. And wow, that was a very powerful song. I woke up this morning so excited to be here with you, with God's people, but especially with my people. It's kind of like when I walk into a buffet and I look around and I say, these are my people. (laughs) You know, that's the way I feel when I look at you out here. (laughs) But I, um, how blessed are we? I was thinking even before they started singing, What a beautiful way God has structured the church and how much we all need one another. And how blessed I think almost all of us would acknowledge that we are to have young and old here together. I I say often, youth, we desperately need your passion, um, but you also need our wisdom. Uh, Not that we're incapable of doing very foolish things at our ages, but we are. But... Still, we've been around the block a few times, and we need each other. We were so blessed. I understand the youth group's been singing this uh, song for a a bit. And thank you for introducing it to us, this one that we just sang, Um, and the passion with which it was sung. And I also was just thinking this morning how beautiful it is that uh, not only Caleb and Stacy have recently gone to help people with sight, um, but... Ryan Mashili also recently was on a mission trip to help give sight, restore sight. Can you imagine, is there anything, I, I can't think of anything I wouldn't give up before my sight. Uh, my mind, but I won't know it then, you know. <laughs> uh, but, but how important that is, and I'm always just deeply moved when I see those videos of people seeing for the first time, or hearing for the first time, but... And, and to think also that if we believe in Jesus Christ, we've been given sight that most people don't have. How simple is the gospel message, and yet people don't understand? We've been given sight to believe and pour out our hearts in praise as we have this morning, all morning long. Thank you, worship team. Always the worship here is wonderful. And there's a lot of work that goes into it. They don't just say, oh, it's just church. You know, just, no, they, they give their best. Grateful for that. And uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, David knows. My favorite Christmas. It's just so rich theologically, just like this last song. And that's one of the things I, I've been thinking about this week, too. I have to say all of this, and then I'm going to get to preaching. Um, but that is, for those of you who are older and much more limited in service than you used to, I, 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 I'm, just sta- I'm amazed every week as I jump into scripture and see all of the connections and all the arrows that point to Jesus in scripture. And I just thought I would encourage encourage those of you who are older and you have a lot of time at home, you're not able to get out like you used to, just to be in the word 
and marvel and be amazed. As Simeon, who may have been old, maybe not, but Anna surely was. We're not going to talk about her this morning. She was a prophetess, and I don't know what to do with that, so we're not going to talk about that. But we are going to talk about Simeon. We don't know that he was old, but he may have been because he had waited a long time. Um, for if you're brand new, uh, we have a sofa on the platform. If you go to sleep, I'm going to call you out, and you have to come up. And No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. This is not camp like we used to do stuff like that at camp. But. So I will ask you. Uh, what your favorite thing about this season is? I mean, I love almost all of it. And I have since I was a child. Somewhere around Thanksgiving, my grandmother would say, oh, go out on the back porch and see if Santa's brought anything. So we'd go run into the back porch. In fact, after a certain number of years, she didn't have to ask us anymore. We'd just go looking. And sometimes there would be an orange or a little toy or something. And sometimes there wouldn't be. Anything. I wasn't good with anticipation, with waiting. I've never been. Anybody here have that trouble with waiting? It's just difficult, isn't it? Uh, there, I, I wanted to know what was under every package with my name on it, or what was in every package with my name on it that was under the tree. And one of the long-standing family stories is that one year, I certainly don't recall this. I think they made it up, though. They, there was one of my packages was torn, and I said it just peeked out at me. So, I mean, I look, I love the good cheer, the Christmas decorations. I particularly love all the lights at Christmas, although apparently I don't love them as much as Miss Allison loves them. <clears throat> Christmas ought to be so much more for believers than what the world celebrates. What the world celebrates, in fact, has little, if anything, to do with Jesus. And certainly not the one that we have sung about this morning. Crucified, risen, coming again, empower Jesus. But believers celebrate the Lord. Thank you, Dr. Whitley, for filling in last minute last week. He says, call me up Sunday morning. I'm all right. I'm good to go. I called him a little earlier than that, but I was feverish last week. You didn't, if you think it's bad today, you didn't want to hear it last week. But thank you for reminding us that Advent is the beginning of the liturgical year for Christians. We're winding down as a nation and as a people, but we need to remember this is the beginning of the liturgical year for us. That's why we're here today, to put our focus where it should be, on Jesus, God's gift to mankind. This morning, we're going to read the account of Jesus' dedication in the temple when he was 40 days old. Mary and Joseph took him there to dedicate him, much like our child dedication services here. This accompanied that. Their dedication of Jesus accompanied the legal requirement for Mary's purification. In fact, as we read our text in just a moment, I want you to look at how many times things were done according to the law. They did it just right. Also, see what allusions there are to the, to the price that Jesus would pay so that we might have peace. Peace with God. Not Hallmark Movie Channel piece where people dance to sacred hymns. 
oh, I love that song, Let's Dance, the first Noel. I'm like, what? <laughs> Maybe it was intended to be a holy dance like David, but I don't think so. The kind of peace that is God's gift to us is far more than life working itself out just like we want it to be. It is a settled assurance that God has delivered his people on the basis of the high price Jesus paid to purchase our peace. We've sung about it all morning long. Kyle beautifully described that peace. I'm always amazed at how the Holy Spirit puts it together. Some things David does intentionally, but some things there's no way it can be done apart from the Holy Spirit. Kyle's talk this morning was, was exactly where we're going in the message. If you believe in Jesus, again, not the Jesus of modern Christmas, but the raw and gritty yet perfect Son of God, born to Mary and born to die. If you believe that Jesus, then you are God's people. Luke 2, 22 to 25 is our text. Uh, so now that you've been told what to look for in the text, I want us to begin reading, jumping right in. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It's our custom to stand for the reading of Scripture. So if you would, uh, let's begin reading. <coughs> Excuse me. Luke 2, 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel or the comfort of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple. And when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your, your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. It happened over and over. Mary is like, what? Joseph is like, what? And they just continually marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. 
and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for revealing the consolation of Israel, the light, the righteousness of Gentiles when we believe to us. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for letting us see. Open our hearts wide this morning. And fill them full at this blessed first part of the year for believers. We pray in the name of the one that we worship, Jesus. Amen. Thank you and be seated. So I want to say something to all those who are in fifth grade down. They're not usually in the service with us, but they are this morning. In fact, would it be really bad if I asked you to stand? Everybody in fifth grade and under... Would you stand up? You don't have to, but if you would, that'd be really cool. Now, I think you would agree these are the best-looking people in the house. Is that right? Yes? Okay. You can be seated. Thank you very much. They were going to come up. That was, yep, that's quite all right. You may be on the couch a little later. <laughs> so I want to say something to you. Look, we're, we're really glad you're here. It's, it's important that you're here with your parents, even if you're sitting. Some of you may be sitting with your friends. Uh, but it's important that you are here worshiping the Lord with your folks. And I'm going to say some things today that surely you won't understand. But I want to encourage you to listen as well as you are able and to take notes whenever you can, especially toward the end when I give some points. I want you to take notes and do what uh, I've heard others do. When you hear a word that you don't understand, write it down and look it up this afternoon and then this evening maybe. Tell it to your parents. Tell them what you've learned here this morning about Jesus and just about just something you've learned about a word that you didn't know anything about before. One of the things that separates the first Christmas from the contemporary Christmas is the this-worldliness surrounding Jesus' birth in the days relatively soon after Jesus' birth. Now, when you think about angels lighting up the sky, praising God, you may think, I think you have that backwards. But almost everything else around Jesus' birth is very much this worldliness. Um, think about the fantasies that people believe this time of year and the superficial and temporal beauty that tells us everything is right with the world. When we know everything is not right with the world. Although Jesus' beginnings were spartan. Everything done was very intentional. When we pick up the story in verse 22. Jesus had already been to the temple in verse 21. When he was 8 years old. I'm not going to make too much of this parents. So that you will not have too much explaining to do so relax. And, and, and you're welcome, by the way. The writers of Scripture led the Holy, by, uh, were led by the Holy Spirit to, to develop certain themes in their books or letters oftentimes. And a couple of the themes in Luke's gospel were the Holy Spirit. He talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. And remember, 
Luke was the author of the book of Acts as well. So he carries that theme right on over. But he saw the work of the Spirit from the earliest days before anyone knew that the Holy Spirit was a person in the tri of the triune Godhead. So that was one theme. Another uh, theme for Luke was temple. That was a big theme. And temple in scripture, you recall, represents the presence of God. And you also know that it was a place of sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. So how appropriate <coughs> that Jesus spends two days in the first few months of his life in his temple. Three separate ceremonies have been combined in verses 22 and following. Mary's purification is commanded in Leviticus 12. The presentation of the firstborn to the Lord from Exodus 13 in, in remembrance of Passover. When the lamb had been slain and the blood applied and the angel of death passed over. So this presentation of the firstborn son to the Lord was commanded from Exodus 13. And then the dedication of the firstborn to the Lord's service. It's described in, in, in the first two chapters of 1 Samuel, but it wasn't required. But that turned into this celebration. That turned into this ceremony when Simeon got involved where a special son was presented to the Lord. Levites were to be <clears throat> dedicated in that way, but nobody else but Simeon turned it into that kind of a ceremony. Uh, <coughs> years <coughs> later, and you think about everything being done just according to the way that it had been commanded for them to be done. Jesus would say years later, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Uh, even in his earliest days, Jesus' parents were living according to the law. Everything about our life, there's a real Jewishness to it that we don't, we oftentimes miss. It's the completion. The New Testament is the completion of God's plan. It's not a pivot to where everything goes differently. Much of what we do is exactly what was done in pre-Jesus synagogues. The way that we conduct our service is somewhat that way. But the way we're structured and led, a lot of what we do was just according to the way that God designed it all. The kind of sacrifice that Mary brought indicates that she was poor. That was made, that this provision was made for those who couldn't afford an animal, a larger animal. That didn't stop her from doing the right thing, though. This teenage mother, most likely no, no older than 15, brought her son to the temple according to what is said in the law of the Lord. So let me ask you a question as we think about this scene. What is the largest crowd that you've ever been in? Where have you been where it was packed so tightly that you moved when the crowd moved? You, that's only when you moved and you better move when the crowd moved. Any sweaty palms just thinking about that? You know, Some of you would say, no, I'm not going to ever be in that kind of a crowd. Uh, that's something akin to the scene uh, in the temple on the day that Joseph and Mary were there. Like an airport or a train station on a very 
busy day. It was just short of control chaos with thousands of people jostling one another for religious purposes. They were there for religious purposes, but it was huge crowd. In the middle of what would have seemed like a mass of humanity, Simeon, <coughs> led by the Holy Spirit, found Jesus. He, Jesus was with Joseph and Mary, but Simeon was looking for Jesus. They would have, of necessity, been either in the court of women or the court of the Gentiles, which is where women were allowed to be. Most, Mary was present, so we know that it was one of those two places, but the context makes me think that perhaps they were in the court of the Gentiles. Um, and then Simeon did something that would be many a mother's nightmare, especially a first-time mother. He reached out to take Jesus in his arms. Now, just imagine that. He's not a Levite. He's just an ordinary person that God has chosen to play a significant role in the big story of redemptive history. And he reaches out his arms for Jesus. Imagine how excited he was when he offered a brilliant hymn of praise to the Lord that we know is not Demetrius, the Latin words, at least that's the Southern American uh, pronunciation of the Latin, not Demetrius, the Latin words meaning now dismiss. That are the first two words in the Latin hymn that is sung all over the world today. Look at how rich this short hymn of praise is. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Or now dismiss your servant in peace. It's a little bit of a ring of, of Paul saying, I've finished the course. I've fought a good fight. I've done what I'm supposed to. I'm ready to go. Now, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. There's no great victory that's been won. The people are still enslaved to the Romans. But he holds this baby in his arms. This peasant baby. And says, my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory <coughs> to your people. Israel. If you were tasked to choose a different text for each Sunday of Advent, you could use today's text for any one of them. Simeon, described as a righteous man, which means he trusted God's promises, had been patiently waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel. <coughs> Excuse me. So Simeon had hope that God the Father would fulfill his promise to his people. When he sees Jesus, he announces that he has peace. Now dismiss your servant in peace. Peace that can only be found in the Savior. Simeon's prophecy that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to God's people Israel 
was possibly shouted with joy. Maybe in the midst of all this chaos going around, somebody saying, Joy is saying to Jim, Jimmy, listen to that. Listen over there. There's some kind of ruckus. And he's shouting joyfully as he holds this baby in his arm, lifting his eyes and giving thanks to the Lord. And has there ever been as tender a scene of love as what Simeon experienced when he cradled the Savior? Simeon's song and his words to Mary were rooted in Old Testament promises and filled with New Testament themes. That's appropriate since the Bible is one story with two parts. And notice in verse 29 how God accomplished his purposes through his word. How does he accomplish his purposes in our lives? Through his word. It's not surprising that Simeon's words amaze Joseph and Mary. After prophesying over Jesus, then Simeon turns his, or turns his attention to Mary. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The Jewish people expected God's Messiah to be a unifying figure for the people of Israel. They thought the Messiah is going to unite us all. Their expectation of God's deliverance was primary, a political, primarily a political expectation, even though they were a spiritual people. Had they used different filters when they studied the Old Testament, they would have seen in Isaiah 8 that God would set up a stumbling stone over which many would fall. But in Isaiah 28, he promised a cornerstone who would not disappoint those who would trust in him. Now, Simeon said, both prophecies would be fulfilled in Jesus. Some will fall, some will rise. Some would stumble and thus oppose Jesus. Some would understand him to be God's Messiah, sent for blessing to his people. Simeon's earlier inclusion of Gentiles in God's plan is the blessed reason we are here today, not because we're better. Romans 9, 10, and 11. Oh, no. 11, especially because we've been grafted in. God is a gracious and merciful God to include us in his plan. Although Mary would be a direct beneficiary of God's purpose is in Jesus. She's not equal with Father, Son, Holy Spirit, don't pray to Mary. Mary prayed to Jesus, and I think God intentionally in his word, almost every time she interacts with Jesus is either amazed like this or Jesus mildly rebukes her. He says, no, you, you don't understand what, you don't understand fully what God is doing. 
Mary would be a beneficiary of God's purposes in Jesus. And a beautiful young woman and example she is to us. But even so, a sword of deep pain and suffering would pierce her heart. Believe it or not, there are a lot of ideas about what that means. But if you think this refers to the suffering she would experience, especially at Jesus' crucifixion, you're almost certainly correct. Look, let's circle back for just a moment. To real Christians versus fake Christians. That we sit, or I'm sorry. Real Christmas versus fake Christmas. There's a lot of that fake Christian going on too, but that's not what I meant to say. <laughs> I check them out in the mirror from time to time. <coughs> uh, we're back to real Christmas versus fake Christmas that we see all around us. Fake Christmas, which admittedly indicates some level of acknowledgement of transcendence. There is something special about this time of the year where people can say, you know, I know there's more to this life than I can explain. Talk with a guy several years, a couple of years ago in New York who said, yeah, I, I, there's stuff I just can't explain, but I'm an atheist. It's just, that's just who I am. And I appreciate that honesty. But you know, that, that transcendence just nags, doesn't it? It nags at people over the years. Perhaps they'll turn their hearts to Jesus. Nonetheless, though, this fake Christmas points to a fantasy world. Peace and harmony. That's where Kyle, that's, that, that's just a beautiful word. But that is properly called fantasy. And Simeon called it what it was when Jesus was 40 days old. Peace is elusive, but in Jesus, we find personal peace. Peace on the earth will not be realized fully until Jesus returns to earth and reigns over the entire earth fully. In the meantime, just as Simeon said it would be, our hearts are revealed by what we believe about Jesus. In the end, our hearts are revealed by whether we believe in Jesus or not. So I want to close this morning, which means the second half of the sermon. Just kidding. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> With three thoughts about the truth we have examined this morning. This is where I'm going to call the fifth grade down really back into to the message because I'm going to hopefully explain things in ways that will make sense to you and maybe some of the adults will get it too. Our focus today is on peace. So we're going to talk about three things. And our focus is on peace. And, peace. and first up is this. We need peace with God whether we know it or not. But we are incapable of locating that peace within ourselves. I just need some peace and quiet. I just need to accept this. I just need, I just need the kind of peace that we need in our relationship with God, we are incapable of finding in ourselves. I want to ask you younger ones, if you've ever done anything <coughs> that really went badly. You know, suppose you 
you were, your parents were gone and you were there with your brothers and sisters and you opened up a cabinet you know you weren't supposed to be in. They had told you very clearly and you started to pull something out and it fell and it broke and it was really valuable. You ever been like that and your brother or your sister says, you are in trouble. I mean, you could hide under your bed, but I personally think you ought to move to Alaska. I think that's your best, that's your best hope. But it's Christmas, you might think. The time for miracles. And so, I'm just going to believe everything will be okay with mom and dad, even though I did this thing they told me not to do. They're not going to be bad with me. You know why? Because I don't want them to be mad with me. And I'm just going to believe that they won't be mad with me. So is that going to work with your parents or are you still in big trouble? Big trouble, that's right. The same is true in our relationship with God. The difference between God and our parents is that our parents are sinners. Can I get an amen from the younger crowd? Can I get an amen from the older crowd? Our parents are sinners. They're certainly not holy or righteous like God is. And we're in trouble with God because of our sin. And we can think in our minds, you know, everything is just going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. I believe everything's just going to be okay. You've heard your parents say, I'm going to discipline you for your own good. Think about a Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. And uh-oh. Never thought about that one. Gonna have an uh-oh. <laughs> Just think about a perfect God. He has no choice but to punish us for our sin. He's holy and he cannot do otherwise. God can no more allow sin into heaven than your parents, your mom's going to allow you into the house if you come up and you're soaking wet and you got mud from head to... I mean, it's all over. Your hair's matted up and it's all over you. And you start to run in the house and she says, no, 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 sir, young man, young lady. You go out there and let your dad hose you off. And then when you're clean, then you can come into the house. Our problem is that we cannot do anything to make ourselves clean enough to go to heaven. That's bad news. The good news is in the second point. Peace with God can only be found, but absolutely is found. Not can be, is found in Jesus. In the text that we read this morning, we encountered baby Jesus. We also learn why Jesus came to earth, which was to grow up and to die for our sins, whether we're Jews or Gentiles. Only through Jesus' death can we have eternal life. Only through Jesus can we have peace with God. It's just like you're in big trouble with your parents. They come home and your brother or sister says, Mom and Dad, I will take his punishment for him. Ain't happening, right? But that's, in a sense, what Jesus did. Wasn't cute, though. It was raw. And it was ugly, and it was really confusing. Until Jesus rose from the dead, and the Holy Spirit came, and the apostles 
told us what all of this means. We have the benefit of all these years of knowing and understanding what it means that Jesus died for us. When Jesus' parents took him to the temple, they were taking him to a place where animals were sacrificed to cover humans' sins. The blood of the animals would cover the, the sins of the people. It was like this, worked like this. God says, someone has to die. Someone has to shed his blood for the sin that, that you've committed. So I will let an animal die in your place. But the blood of the animal which covered the people's sins only lasted so long. They had to come back year after year in order to keep peace with God. See, there was trouble between God and us, just like there's trouble between you and your parents when you've done something wrong. And in order to keep peace, they had to keep on sacrificing animals in the temple. Something needed to be done on a more permanent basis. So God sent his son Jesus as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And I'm saying this to children, and because of the children's ministry, these guys are every bit as good a theologians as the adults are. It's amazing what they learn. So I know a lot of you are tracking with me. Does this mean that Jesus died for everyone and now everyone is at peace with God because of his sacrifice? It might be nice if that were the case, and it might not be nice if justice matters. Simeon's prophecy shows clearly that some will rise, some will fall, based on their belief in Jesus. You may hear a lot of people uh, saying something like, I have faith that everything will work out as it should. If you ask such a person, why do you have faith? They'll say, well, I just have faith. I mean, you can't live without faith, right? You just have to have, you have, to have faith that everything's going to be okay. But that's only having faith in faith. As in mind over matter. It's like looking inside to correct a problem that you are incapable of correcting. It's fantasy. To say everything's just going to be okay. Our faith needs an object. If we're going to have faith, we need to have faith in something or someone. And the only object of genuine saving faith is a person. Jesus Christ. And with him, there are two kinds of peace, which is the focus of the last point. Although both are promised to God's people, note the distinction between peace with God and the peace of God and pursue both. I said something about this a couple of years ago. And I just thought I'd heard it so many times when I was in Bible college as a young man. That I just assumed that everybody knows this. And it's like people are saying, oh, that is very helpful. So please forgive me for not talking about this more. Uh, we've already talked about different kinds of peace that people pursue. Such as world peace and personal peace. Peace in the world and personal peace. There are two types of peace for the believer. It's first important that we have peace with God by trusting Jesus' death on the cross as payment for our sins. A good place in the New Testament that describes peace with God is Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, in other words, we have believed that Jesus died for us, that all that's been stated in the first four chapters of Romans. 
Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No longer are we in trouble with the Lord if we have believed because Jesus did take our punishment for us. Through him, we all have also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's a lot of good Advent text there as well, isn't it? How do we pursue peace with God as the first, the last point encourages us to do? Um, in time, believers learn it's not so much that we pursue God and we pursue peace with God, but that He pursues us. We believe. When we have a desire to pursue Him, though, if you're thinking, well, how do I know if God's pursuing me? When you have a desire to pursue him, then he's pursuing you. When you say, I want to know more about this Jesus, then you can be sure he is after you. And let me encourage you to believe what Jesus did on the cross in your place. So if you're thinking about trusting in Jesus, pray for God to reveal himself fully to you. How will he do that? We've already heard it through his word. Through his word. What then is the difference between peace with God and the peace of God? It sounds as if it's the same thing. Here's the answer. Peace with God involves our legal standing with God. We're in trouble with God. Jesus comes in, steps in, says, I'm taking the punishment. Now everything is okay. God's righteous wrath against sin was directed to Jesus instead of us. And when we believe, we know that we will live eternally with him because we've repented of our sins, we've acknowledged our sins, and, and believe that Jesus died for us. Thus, we have peace with God, or he is at peace with us. The peace of God is a personal peace in our hearts and minds that comes when we trust him with all matters, in all areas of our lives. It's easier for you to trust the Lord for some things than it is for other things. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 is the best place to understand how God gives his peace to us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, as we talked about a few weeks ago, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I, I read this past week a Bible app that has over 400 million users worldwide declared Philippians 4, 6 to be the verse of the year. It's the one that most people, more people have searched out than any other. Who doesn't want peace in a world that feels like it's on the verge of tearing itself apart? For those who don't know Jesus, it is most important that one pursues peace with God through Jesus. For those of us who follow Jesus already, when we come to the Lord with trusting and thankful hearts, we are blessed to receive the peace of God that passes understanding, keeping our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Much like the first Christmas, life can be raw 
and disappointing. So peace doesn't mean that we get everything that we want or that everything works out or that it feels like we think the peace of God ought to feel. But we can find the peace that Simeon found as the Holy Spirit worked in his life. If you seek comfort and peace within yourself, sooner or later you will find yourself to be utterly insufficient. When you look to Jesus, when you look to Jesus and you see only him, you will find peace. He paid a high price for us to have peace with God. And he delights to give us the peace of God when we center on him. Let's pray. And just before I pray, would you sing with me? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory. And grace. Father, we do thank you for the Savior. May we experience the joy that Simeon did on the day that he first laid eyes on the Savior, knowing that he would be the cause of the rising and falling of many in Israel. Lord, our hearts long for everything to be as it ought to be. And one day he will reign on heaven and earth as we sing about in joy to the world. But on this day, may he reign in our hearts individually and collectively as Grace Community Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.